Fifty Cents, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. A very good morning and warm welcome to Money Sense. I'm Simon Cordry, and I'm joined in the studio this morning by a veritable wealth of intellect. We have the Senior Managing Director of the Kaya Association, John Bowman, and two esteemed global investors who control more billions of dollars than most of us can ever imagine. The first is Mr. Clark Cheng, who is a CEO and CIO of Merrimack. What or who is Merrimack, you may ask? And the answer is that they are a very large single-family office which invests in hedge funds, private equity, venture capital, and direct real estate. The second is Natalie Jenkins-Sorrell, who is the deputy CIO of the City of Dallas's US dollar $3.6 billion retirement fund. So as I say, a ver- veritable wealth of intellect controlling an awful lot of money. The purpose of today's show is to tap these guests' wisdom and learn from them, learn how we can all be better stewards of our own money. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good, morning. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Let me start off, if I may, by asking you, John, as the Senior Managing Director of the Cairo Association, what is this alternative world that is often talked about? It seems as though the word alternative is a confusing one often to the regular investor. So try and sort of set out the landscape of what it is we're talking about. Sure. Uh, Well, I think traditionally, uh, alternatives have been anything outside of the conventional stocks, bonds, and cash. It's a bit of a misnomer now, and probably we should be rethinking our language because uh, our alternatives are anything but alternative these days. They're very mainstream. So the typical high net worth investor has something like 12% in alternatives, and the institutional investors like my friends here this morning are more than double that on average. Uh, So traditionally, what would be in this category, however, uh, would be things like private equity, private debt, uh, real assets, so your homes, real estate, infrastructure, commodities, uh, natural resources, and then, of course, hedge funds. So what distinguishes these from the conventional stocks, bonds, and cash are that they don't trade on public exchanges. Uh, They're not priced daily, so we would say that they're e-liquid, meaning they don't move Uh, daily. There's no public exchange to trade these between individuals. And then most importantly, from an investor standpoint, and and again, my colleagues here will explain this in much better terms than me, but they offer different behavior, diversified streams. They don't behave the same as traditional uh, asset classes, which provide risk mitigation over a long period of time for, for clients. There's a lot of people who will be listening today, today to today's show and will be saying, well, I've got my portfolio at Charles Schwab, Interactive Brokers, whatever other custodian. And you're saying to me, these things are not traded on general exchanges. So first of all, I guess, how do I get access to them? That, that's going to be a question that people are going to be wanting to ask. And then also, how do I learn more about this? Because you're saying this topic is something that people are, who are managing the billions are actually doing so how do I learn more about the actual asset class, about what's in it, and therefore learn to make better investment decisions? How does one do that? That may be a softball for you as, a, as managing director of the Kaya well, Association. Yes, that's where Kaya comes in. And, and <laughs> if, 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 the, uh, if the investment world does anything well, it's used too many acronyms. So Kaya stands for Chartered Alternative Investment Association. So we're a professional body. What does that mean is that we exist to raise standards, to professionalize the industry, to protect your listeners, underlying investors, and the public uh, to ensure that we have fair and efficient markets that serve its original purpose of uh, preparing individuals for uh, retiring with dignity. That's the idea. Uh, and, the, and we have 12,000 members in almost 100 countries around the world. These individuals have gone through a rigorous examination program and uh, have committed themselves to adhere 
to a code of ethics and standard of professional conduct. So the first answer to your question is to find an individual, uh, uh, an investment professional that is well-trained uh, and that is held to a standard of care that always puts clients first, that would be able to work with you, partner with you to determine whether these types of assets, these types of strategies are appropriate for your long-term investor goals and, and risk profile. Uh, so Kaya is, is, uh, is an educational organization. We do advocacy here with SEMA, with the SEC in the States, with, with Brussels to ensure, again, that legislation regulatory issues are ultimately serving uh, the purposes of protecting investors. Now, John made the comment, Natalie, that uh, institutional investors are sort of almost in their 20s percent waiting to these alternative assets that John's very eloquently described and explained. As an, as an investment manager of a few billion dollars, tell us why you have allocated funds in this space and why, why they are increasingly important to you as an, as, as, an, as an asset allocator. Certainly glad to. The primary reason we are in this asset class is returns. Returns and, as was previously mentioned, diversification, but primarily returns. So since the great financial crisis of 2008, what happened was expected returns regarding equities and, to a large extent, fixed income came down quite substantially. So whereas back in, let's say, 06 and 07 and for part of 08, you might have anticipated a return of 75 8%, 8.5%. That is just no longer the case. Returns came down quite a bit. So now what our consultants tell us is that you should expect somewhere in the neighborhood of five, six percent. So we have to do something more to generate returns because our actuarial rate of return, i.e. the number that we need to be able to pay benefits to retirees in the future, is right now around seven. And that needs to come down even even farther. But my point is, is that to generate that kind of return, we can't stay in the traditional uh, bonds and, and stocks as much as we may want, want to. So alternatives is a way for us to get that return that we need. So we're, we're set against a backdrop, I guess, admittedly the last 12 months have been slightly unusual. We've got lots of crazy things going on in the world and yet markets continue to go up and up and people have piled into the same old thing and they've gone up even more. So despite that, is that, is that an even better or is that, does that make it the reason to invest in alternatives even more pronounced because of the increasing risks that exist in the traditional asset classes, the valuations that seem ever more stretched? Great question. I would actually say, to an extent, yes. I think when the traditionals are up, that's a great time to go into something that might be a little bit more non-traditional to the general kind of institutional investor. Um, you know, things can only go up for so long. At some point, you're really going to need some downside protection. And when the other thing we like about alternatives is, as was previously mentioned, they are not marked to market every day, meaning that you can check and see where Amazon is trading right now. You know, Google, Netflix, any other, I'm using all them as an examples, but you can see where they're trading. Alternatives are different. They do not move up and down with the market every day. They don't have that variability. So I would say that even though, to your point, market has been up. Why not keep doing what I've always done in investments? That's just not always the best long-term strategy. You want to be diversified so that when things turn. Now, interesting you say that. I want to ask um, Clark a question sure. on this because you're, you're managing the money for a family office. And so in essence, you have a long-term viewpoint. You're not making, presumably not making trades based on tomorrow's numbers that come out of the Federal Reserve or economic output numbers. You're investing for a much longer term horizon. Does that apply to the regular person? Can the regular person learn from that sort of approach? 
I think it's um we try to simplify things. And um, I, I think within alternatives, there's two sides. There's both the, the liquid side, which is hedge funds, and that's mark to market. That can, that can be comparable to public and, and um, just regular long-only traditional. And then there's the private side, which is the private equity venture and then real estate. On, on, the, on the public side, the way I think about alternatives and hedge funds is the fact that it's just completely unconstrained. You could do whatever you want. You could go long stocks. You could go short stocks. You could lever it up. You could concentrate it versus a long-only investment you know, criteria such as investing in the S&P. And and I think what well, what long only is is that the traditional asset class is that you're you're basically long an equity index, which which sounds very simple, but you, it's not, you're not just long an equity index or long an asset class. You're long everything that's in that index, meaning you're long certain factors, whether you're long momentum, growth, value. Um, you're basically long the same the same top stocks, basically Microsoft, Google, Amazon, um, Berkshire. And um, I don't think people understand when they buy a passive index that they're actually buying specific things that comprise the index. When you look at hedge funds and you look at the, the, the alternative side, they can actually look at those and figure out what do we want to have and what do we not want to have. And right now we're late in a cycle right now. And the question is, do you want exactly what's in the S&P index? And I don't know if that's the answer. For, for us, the way that we think about it is we want the manager to be unconstrained. We want them to be able to make money any which way possible. And because... The alternative side pays a lot more. The smartest people actually go towards the alternative side. And the key for us is to find who are those managers that can actually make that money, but also generate the returns to compensate for the risk that they're taking. But it is really just an unconstrained investment process versus on the traditional side. They're basically just long equities. It's direction long. It's 100% invested. And it's very simple and easy to understand. I think people are comfortable with that. Um, Having said that, the, the equity markets are changing too. The equity markets in the old days was very retail driven. And there was actually a lot of dispersion, a lot of returns to be had from investing in stocks. As we've gone to today where the market is more, um, it's more passively driven now. So passive is past active this year at about 4.2, 4.3 trillion. And as a result, the market itself is changing. And is there as much alpha to be had from selecting stocks? I don't know. I think there is, but it's very hard to get now versus how it was over 10 years ago. You said something that I want to interject there because you talked about alpha and you talked about choosing stocks. One of the things you said is that some of the smartest talent is going into the alternative space as managers. Uh, How important do you think that is when investors are thinking about choosing an investment manager, they're going through a menu of possible investment managers, and what you're saying is some of the smartest talent out of universities and in the industry are moving away from that and they're moving into hedge funds or private equity funds. How important, a char- how important a factor is that when you look at choosing managers and identifying the very best quality? I, I think people are incentivized by certain things, and, and everyone in finance is incentivized by money. And within the, within the um, alternative space, people basically charge a management fee, say 1%, 2%, and then they charge a 20% carry. So they get 20% of the profits that they generate. Because of that, the talent is moving in that direction because they want to make more money. Um, having said that, most people are not that good. They should they shouldn't be they shouldn't be making that much money, and they shouldn't be in alternatives. But it's up to to people like us that we have to figure out who's good and who's bad. I th- I think out there most people are quite average, and they're not that good. It's the ability to find the good guys and to get that relationship and get that capacity with them that makes that makes it good. The um the problem is is that most people don't though. I, I think it's it is. It's um, there's this aura and it's great. I think before 2008, it was phenomenal. Like when you look at when you look at um, hedge funds back then, the dispersion was was quite wide, but the bottom disper- the bottom quartile was still positive. Was very good. 
Meaning that you could have thrown darts at hedge fund managers or private equity or any of these guys and made a ton of money. I think when you look at it now, it's much it's much different. The dispersion is tighter, meaning the top and the bottom is much tighter, and the dispersion has moved lower now. Meaning it's really you really do have to invest in the top quartile, and it's it's for us to find that, to source that, to find that, get that relationship, and to get invested. But the the environment itself is much harder to invest in alternatives than it was before. Everything since '09 has gone up, but I, I I tell you that a lot of it is just just, just beta in in the private equity beta in. Um, and equity hedge fund strategies, and it's not necessarily skill. And you have to, to discern that skill is, is very difficult. So how does how on earth your your sophisticated investment professionals? You presumably have teams of people who work with you. How on earth does the average person benefit or find these people of this skill of this quality, and then take advantage of investing in them? How how does one go about doing that? Well, there's several different ways, but I'll tell you the way that that we do this at the Employees Retirement Fund at the City of Dallas, where the civilian employees that are members of the pension fund are already invested. They're invested because of the work that we do. So their pension fund dollars are invested, in this case, in some areas of private equity. So it's our responsibility to source those managers. They don't have to go out and do this and find the best private equity managers for their portfolio. We've we've done that. And within, I'll use private equity as the example here, that comprises around 7.5% of the total $3.65 billion we have under management. It is a, a process whereby we're looking at the totality of the space of private equity, trying to figure out, okay, when we first got into the space back in 2009, we were looking less at venture and more at buyout. All right, so all that means venture tends to be a little bit more on the risky side, whereas buyouts are a little bit larger investments, and we looked at funds that had uh, been around for a little while so we could see their performance over time. And we could understand if their process by which they were trying to create alpha was repeatable and what was their, they had a secret sauce that was working for them, whatever it was. Everybody will tell you that part of what makes our private equity funds so great is that we have the best people mm-hmm. and they are the smartest people in the room. Well, numbers can tell you some of that, but you can also get a sense of that when you go and you sit for five hours with them or two hours or three hours in their offices and you talk to them about what they've done and how they've done it and how they've made money. So that was a, a, a way of answering your question directly, which is for the approximate 15,000 employees of the city of Dallas, they're already invested in private equity. Fascinating. Look, we're going to take a short break here. Right after the break, we're going to recontinue our conversation with these, these team of uh, asset allocators and discuss a little bit more about the alternative investment industry. This is Money Sense, bringing an informed financial perspective to the Cayman community. Brought to you by the CFA Society Cayman Islands. And now, more Money Sense. Welcome back to Money Sense and our conversation with John Bowman, Natalie Jenkins Sorrell, and Clark Cheng on the critical subject of allocating capital effectively. Before the break, we talked in a high-level way about capital allocation and some of the some of the strategies that people are following in the alternative space. And I want to perhaps turn to you now, Clark, if I may, and just say, just ask you, we, where are where are you thinking is the next area that people should be learning more about in terms of the alternative space? So, hedge funds, people are sort of familiar with what those are. They, they've heard about these. They've been around for a number of years. Private equity, I think, is something that people are increasingly familiar with, and they're seeing it in their portfolios. They're seeing it in their retirement plans. 
where else is there? Are there other other areas within the alternative space that people need to be mindful of and spend spending more time? Or are there different asset classes which these people are investing in? Well, I, I think alternatives are very broad, and to me, it's just completely unconstrained. So, so every every year there's like the hot hot trend and hot idea. And a few years ago, it was, it was cryptocurrency. And crypto just took off and then it came back down again. Now it's kind of bouncing around. Um, lately, it was, it was cannabis. So every every month, I, I get emails on cannabis. Right now, it's probably opportunity zones. So it's it's the biggest thing where people just email me asking, do you want to invest in opportunity zones? And these are people that had never worked in real estate, and they're creating opportunity zone funds in real estate that are, they're pitching to me. But I, I think it's very dangerous to get into these areas that you may not understand, you may not know. And a lot of these things are fads, and I don't think they'll actually work out in the long run. So so for us, the um, the, the question is, um, the question for me right now is we're, we're late in a cycle right now. I mean, it's it's been 10 years since, since the last crisis. We're late in the cycle. A lot of people don't remember it. A lot of people that I meet weren't even working actually at the time. So all they know is this great bull market. The, um, so the question for me late in the cycle is, is what, what risk do you want? What risk do you not want? And we don't, we can be fully invested, completely fully invested with no cash, but we don't want to be short skew. So we don't want, we don't want like tail risk, things that can go down quite a bit. So um, we don't want to be short liquidity. So we don't want credit type strategy. So private credit, private lending, direct lending is a big strategy right now. It's raising a ton of money. And um, but we don't want to be in that because you're short liquidity. So what happens is that if you go into a crisis, um, the next one, whenever it is, I have no idea when it's coming. Think the correlations tend to go one to one, meaning that all asset classes kind of correlate, and move together at the same time, which doesn't help your portfolio. Uh, liquidity becomes very important, and if you don't have liquidity, you're basically stuck, and you have to ride it all the way down. You can't sell out of anything. And then, and lastly, you may not want to be directional. Now, when you work, when you're investing in alternatives, and if you do something like a Kai, you can understand these types of strategies and stuff. When you do alternatives, you don't you, you you can avoid a lot of these risks. So within within the hedge fund, you can be short equities too. So you can be fully invested, um, long and short stocks, but you can extract alpha out of it without being directional. For most of us, we would just be long the market. We would be directional. But you're taking a lot of risk later in the cycle. Now, after the crisis, you want to be long equities. You may want to be in a passive index. Um, like Since 2009, the best strategy in the world has been to sell options. And it, it, if you look at it from purely a numbers perspective, so so as we look at managers, numbers you know look great. And um, and you think that's that's the whole picture. But the question is, how much risk did you use to generate that 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 number? When you look at them um, selling options, all you're doing is collecting premium every month, but you're not really marking the the portfolio. And it's it's basically picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. And when the market goes the other way, you basically lose everything you've made over ten years. And that's that is an alternative strategy. But there's a time to be in that, and there's a time not to be in that. So right now for us, the question is, what risk do we want? What risk do we not want? We don't want to be directional. We don't want to be short vol. We don't want to be short liquidity. But we want to be invested because we don't know when the market's going to turn. And for most of my friends who are all very smart, some of them went into cash like four or five years ago, and they've been sitting in cash. And it's very hard for them to get back in right now. The market keeps going up. There's a ton of capital out there ready to be invested. And it, I think it's a... It's it's a dangerous world that we don't know when it's going to turn. It could be it could turn from anything. It could turn from this coronavirus. It could turn from, you know, something that happens with Iran. But chances are we can't predict what's going to make the market turn. I think that's an interesting one because you hear a lot of people uh, who are investing and putting some of their capital to work who keep who who worry that markets are a bit expensive, that things have gone up for so long, can they continue to go up? So with that as a backdrop. 
how the alternative asset class, which typically go to your point on correlation, when things are going badly, some assets go down an awful lot and then other assets also go down a lot, even though they were sold to you as being something that was going to protect you from these bad scenarios. So what sort of assets typically are, are good to invest in, Natalie, when markets are performing poorly? Or, or, and obviously this is not a forecast because things can always change, but what, in, your, in your experience and your research, what are good areas for people to be thinking about in those, area, in those, those times? Sure, given where we are in the cycle, we are looking for strategies that are a bit more understandable. I won't say predictable, because I don't know what's really that predictable these days. But <laughs> I will tell you that we have, for us, liquidity is very important, right? We are a pension fund, and we have a payroll to meet every quarter. We've got benefits to pay. So unlike an, 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 a traditional endowment, um, for example, we have cash needs that are real and that are always there. So. When we think about where we want to put money now, we're thinking in the, within the alternative space. Right now, we're looking at uh, areas within infrastructure, all right? And that's something that's kind of understandable, somewhat predictable. Uh, we've got, you know, for example, airports, toll roads, bridges, and the like, things that people use every day and do present a predictable somewhat cash flow stream. And uh, it's an area that we've been looking at for a time and we're thinking about seriously right now and moving, moving forward. And there are ways that you can do that within areas, let's say, global listed infrastructure. So that uh, will also provide liquidity. Your money is not you know, trapped there for long periods of time with a potential queue to, for example, get it out. You know, mm -hmm. some places they put, they put um, systems in place so you can't get money out when you need it. We don't want that. But that's one area that we've been looking at. And there are, as, as we often we're talking around this table about illiquid securities typically, uh, but there are ways sometimes of getting invested in illiquid securities sure. through relatively liquid solutions, which is quite a contradiction perhaps. But there are some ETFs out there, which yeah. uh, ETFs being exchange traded funds, which most of the listeners will be familiar with. There are some of those which do invest in these sorts of strategies, whether it be water infrastructure or road infrastructure. Is that a is that a is that a sensible <coughs> consideration then you're thinking for people to invest in? It could potentially be sure, absolutely. I mean, if that is, um, again, I would tell you this, and it really depends on your your needs and where you are in your investment cycle as well, right? Are you close to retirement? Are you in your 30s or 40s? Or are you closer to your kind of 60s and 70s? Some of that might depend on what ETFs uh, you like and 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 don't like, which ones are more appropriate for the part of the cycle we're in now and, and some and some are not. But generally speaking, uh, if you want access to these types of strategies within, let's say, water, bridges, toll roads and the like, an ETF could be the way to go. Uh, but again, the way it works with us is our 14, 15,000 or so civilian employees, they invest with us, right? So if we decide to move into globalist infrastructure, they'll already have the exposure. They won't have to necessarily look at an, at an ETF. Do you, do you think that mo more, more pension plans, more longer-term investors should be considering these sorts of alternative assets if they're not already? Do you think that's something that they should, in a fiduciary capacity, be spending more time evaluating and putting money to work in those areas? I do. I do, given some of the things that we've already talked about, right? So given the fact that returns are going to be muted going forward, given that we are late in the cycle, given that there is, for some, like us, a liquidity need 
it would, it, it, I would say yes. But this is when it really becomes critical to, to touch up on it again, and it's worth mentioning again because it's so very important. If you don't find the right folks, if you don't find the right managers in this space, then you shouldn't do it. Then you absolutely shouldn't do it. And we, I mean, it, it cannot impress upon that enough. Because if you don't find the right people, and as we talked about earlier, the dispersion now has become tighter in the alternative space in general. It definitely doesn't matter almost where you are. It's very tight. And you can see who's good and who's great. And that goes to your point as well, Clark, doesn't it, about yeah. the the quality of the people. And there's, there's an interesting segue here, and I'll, and I'll throw another softball up for you, John, in the sense that people people should invest in things, I suppose it's true to say, that they don't have the ability to do themselves, but they probably shouldn't do it without at least understanding some of the basic concepts of those areas that they're thinking of investing in. So you shouldn't go and invest in hedge fund strategies if you really don't understand what hedge funds are in the first instance. And and Clark's thrown out a, a number of concepts, options, and all sorts of other things. These are all presumably areas that Kaya can help people learn about, and uh, there are courses and all sorts of other things that one can study materials that one can read and understand through through your organization, presumably. Yeah, indeed. We have a Fundamentals of Alternative Investments program, which is a self-paced course that will introduce you to kind of the elementary basics of uh, alternatives. But I, I would say this, the last decade... Uh, we think the easy money is probably behind us. So th- if, you, if you're under 30, you've not experienced, at least professionally, a, a bear market. Just like one of us around the table. Last, <laughs> yeah. last, decade, last decade that we did not have a, a bear market was 1850. So it's been a while. Uh, I doubt any of your listeners were alive during that decade. Uh, but this has not been a normal decade. So I think going forward, we're ne- going to need to be more thoughtful about how to diversify our portfolios going forward to protect against the downside. Well, we have, we have about a minute left, and I'd, I'm interested. I hadn't thought about uh, this question before we talk, before this conversation went on, but is there anything that either of you as asset allocators keeps you awake at night that you say to people, please don't, st- please don't invest in that, please just, just don't do that? That's, that's a terrible idea. Is there anything that you, should, that you would think of saying to people in that, in that context? I mean, I, mean I, I can give you a general rule of thumb for me, but, but to go back to that one thing about about. about having liquid vehicles like passive indices in, um, in illiquid investments, I think that's extremely dangerous for the whole world in the sense that on the way up, it looks great. You're putting it into private investments in a liquid ETF, but on the way out, if you can't get your money back, there's a run, and that creates a huge liquidity problem in the world. Like right now, liquidity is extremely fragile, and when you look at credit trading, it, it looks great and stuff, but underneath it all, the banks aren't trading credit anymore because of um, because of... The reg- because of the new regulations in, in the U.S. and stuff. As a result, liquidity is very fragile. And when, that's why you see these volatile movements in, in the stock markets and in the bond markets because there is none of the liquidity. The more that people put money into passive bond indices and other stuff, it looks great, but on the way out, it's going to be very tough. So the next crisis could be a liquidity crisis. Um, and having, you know, having said that, to, uh, to your last question, the um, the one thing I would say within this business is, and if it's too good to be true, it's probably not true. It's it's going to be a couple of things. It's um, So if the Sharpe ratio is greater than 1.5, which is very difficult to achieve, it's either going to be a spectacular manager, which will happen maybe 5% of the time. It's either going to be a fraud or it's going to be short vol, meaning that it looks great right now, but you're going to lose a lot of money. Because everyone thinks about the world in terms of a normal distribution, which is how we all learn this in statistics class. But what's most important is, is negative skew and understanding that. So that and being, that being te- extraordinary short, risks. Extraordinary tail risks. Yeah. So it looks, good, it looks good in the meantime, but every 10 years, you're going to lose a ton of money. And that's the kind of thing that you want, you want to be afraid of. So if it looks too good to be true, I would, um, I would not invest in it or ask a professional. 
anything that keeps you awake at night and not, worrying? Not having the money I need to pay pay my retirees is yeah. absolutely what keeps me up at night. And and not being able to mitigate that tail risk is critically important. It, it's not missing the upside of a bull market that hurts you. It's catching all the downside of the bear that kills you over time. So you're saying if the market last year was up 25% and you were only up 20, that's that's you know that's that's okay. But it's better it, to be only down five when everything else is down 30. 200% agree because yeah. because. Um, because that it, it is it is the downside risk that really will will hurt you in the long run, and um, I'm always looking for ways to protect against that. And uh, absolutely, yeah. Well, look, That's we great. are we are as always on this show out of time as the conversation is midstream. Uh, we run out of time just as the conversation becomes ever more interesting. Um, but thank you, Natalie, Clark, and John, for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure having you all. Pleasure Glad to be Thank here. You. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We have now reached the end of the show, and I hope you, our listeners, have enjoyed it. Please remember, today's show will be available as a podcast on the CFA Society Cayman Islands webpage. And encourage you, if you have any questions or topics that you wish us to cover, do email us at moneysense at candw.ky or tweet us at moneysenseradio. Uh, we will be more active on Twitter and on other social media platforms, so please do look out for us there. We want to engage in a conversation with you and make sure we cover topics that you, our listeners, wish us to do so. With that, once again, thank you for joining us. Goodbye, and please do tune into Money Sense in two weeks' time.